Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, September 5th, 2021, we continue our new series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Longing to Preach the Gospel, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. Before we begin, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon by Pastor Bob Wade. Romans, probably more than any other book of the Bible, helps us to come to grips with the greatness and the depth and the beauty of the gospel. Its author, Paul, his whole life is committed to Jesus and it's all about bringing the gospel and building churches that will preach the gospel. But notice here that that this isn't the gospel of man because verse one says it's the gospel of God. That means it's not the best ideas of men and women. It, It means it's not a bunch of people getting together and voting on it and coming up with something that they thought was good. What's been done by God for us through his son is the good news. That's why the study of God's word needs to be careful and thorough. It needs to be verse by verse. It needs to be something that we get into carefully because we're not doing this so we can decide what we like or dislike about God. We're doing this so that we can know him. We want you to understand that you were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And our hope is, as a church, and also as individuals, this will be the thing that will turn your life on the course that God wants it to be. Romans truly is the gospel for all time. On September 10th, 2001, I found myself in an airport in Dallas, Texas, on a road show with the corporation that I was a part of. And we'd been on the road for about two weeks um, trying to motivate and get our shareholders rallied and uh, all kinds of uh, antics and different things as we're out on that roadshow. But when we got to the airport on September 10th, my boss told me, hey, we only have the one, the one meeting left. And that meeting, of course, is tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Uh, at the top of the world restaurant and the World Trade Towers. Thus, it would have put me um, in the World Trade Towers at the time of that tragedy. And so, but the phrase that I heard a lot of people say to me as they learned of that story was, man, you're lucky. And I myself find myself saying I was, I was lucky. But I don't believe in luck. I believe in God, who is entirely sovereign, who is providential in every second, every moment of my life. To say that I am lucky is to discount that God is in control. And I realized as I went through that process of mourning that the people that I'd traveled with, the people that uh, were in that facility, the employees of ours that were in that facility, 17 of my colleagues, my coworkers, lost their life that day. It forever changed me but probably not in the way that it would change a lot of people. What changed in me was the fact that there were people that I had relationship with, that I communicated with on a regular basis, people in which I had lunch with, breakfast with, dinner with, traveled with, and in these people, I never shared the gospel with them. So immediately, I felt a sense of regret or a sense of inadequacy. 
because I had never shared the gospel with them. You see, the World Trade Center effect on my life was that I am to share the gospel, to preach the word everywhere where God has me at any one particular moment. It's what impassions me. It's what compels me. We can argue over doctrine. We can argue over various theological positions. But we cannot deny the fact that Jesus Christ himself is the gospel. And that it is the gospel that Paul longs here to share with the people in Rome. This sermon today is going to have three points. It's going to be about giving thanks in verses 8 through 10. It's going to be about how we seek to encourage people in verses 11 through 13. And ultimately, it's understanding the gospel offer. What is the underlying mission of the gospel? Why is Paul, in his introduction, presenting it this way? It is profound. Paul says, if you'd like to join me, turn to Romans 1, verses 8 through 15. Paul says this. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual uh, gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Our Father and our God, Lord, we come to you as servants. We come to you as slaves for your gospel. You, Lord, set us free from the bondage of sin so that we could be slaves to the gospel. Help us, Lord, as a community, as a people, to grow in your grace and to grow in a greater and greater understanding of your son. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So an underlying question that I want you to keep kind of in the back of your head as we kind of work our way through this is why is Paul longing to share the gospel to a community of believers? Why is this first thing? Why is this that he wants to share this gospel to a room full of already saved people? Last week in the introduction, Pastor Bob spoke about Paul's humility that precedes his authority. And ultimately, that it is the obedience of faith that compels us to share the gospel. It is the gift of God's faith to us that compels obedience, the obedience of faith. And therefore, we are called to serve as a servant, a doulos, a slave to the gospel, a slave to Christ. 
And today we'll look at verses eight through 15 and what Paul in this introduction is trying to get across. And then next week, Pastor Thomas will conclude uh, the introduction in verses 16 and 17. But looking at verse eight, Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. The first point here today is that by giving thanks for other Christians through the one true God. Paul in this verse eight through 10, right? He is making this proclamation of thanksgiving, but through the one true God. And he's doing this especially in verse eight when their faith is proclaimed. Their faith is being proclaimed. They're kind of world renowned for their faith. He says, first, I thank my God. He's saying, my God to whom I serve is what he's saying there. He thanks my God through Jesus Christ. This form of expression, right? Paul supposes facilitation through Christ because Christ is our mediator. He is the one who facilitates. He is the one who cleans up our prayers and presents them to God the Father in perfection. He is our mediator. He is our advocate. Some would say he's our lawyer. Because as Satan proclaims you as evil, Christ says not guilty because of what I did on their behalf. He is our advocate. Paul's thankfulness is expressed when he says that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Their faith was such a character that it drew general attention from the whole world. Now we think to ourselves, do we do that? If we just broke down our family here of Highlands, what is our character? What is our position to the community? Do people see us as followers of Christ, as a Bible teaching and Bible preaching church? I was blessed during the beginning of the first service, I was talking to a man who's very new here, and he says, I just have to hand it to you guys here at Highlands. He says, you know, I've gone to a whole bunch of different churches, and this is the first church I ever come to that I haven't been made to feel so welcome. That's not a toot to the horn of Highlands. That is a praise to God who is working through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul gives thanks for this community because of their impact upon greater than just themselves. Paul, in verses nine through 10, shows the sincerity of his prayer for them. He says, in verse nine, he says, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul says, whom I serve, because Paul understands that he himself, even though an apostle, 
is a servant of Christ. He is a doulos, a slave to the gospel. Because with the power of the spirit, the gospel of his son is whom I serve. Paul is just merely expressing that I am a slave to Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ and everything I do is to the servanthood of him. This act of worship, this devotion of practicing the presence of God is what Paul is getting across to us. He's speaking from the position of God's omnipresence (coughs) in that God is everywhere. I talked in weeks past where I said that you must be the ambassador of the hundred square feet around you. Because anything and everything that comes into your hundred square feet is for the specific purpose of the glory of Jesus Christ. It changes your role in the grocery store. It changes our role at work. Not that we can't do our jobs, not that we can't do the functions of what we're doing, but everything, in fact, that we do is in the presence of God and you're in charge of that 100 square feet around you. Verse 10, right, Paul is asking. He's not telling, he's asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul's supplication, his request before God, is that he may at last succeed in a desire that he's had upon his heart for a long time. But he's not going to compromise or capitulate the will of God. He's going to go as God would send him. This is probably one of the top questions, especially one in which I get from students or from uh, college people. What is God's will for my life? Am I supposed to go here or am I supposed to go there? When we start to ask the question, do I go here or do I go there, we're missing the point of the 100 square feet you're in charge of. Paul wants to make sure that he's fulfilling the mission of what he's already been entrusted. He is asking that somehow by God's will, in other words, Paul understands the mystery of how God works, that sometimes I don't understand why am I doing this versus why am I doing that? Why did I survive not going to the World Trade Towers that day and why am I still here? If not for God's purpose and his plan, that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul's supplication of asking. We start to learn a bit more about his asking when we get further down the road here in in Romans 15. Verses 21 through 29, right? Uh, Or 25 through 29, right? Paul says this in 25. He says, at present, talking about current, present tense, however, I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. And skipping down to verse 28, he says, when therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected. So he's collecting funds and resources for the poor. I will then leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. In other words, Paul must finish the mission at hand. People sometimes will come to me and say, Jeff, I I feel like I've just capped out here at Highlands. I've learned all that I can possibly learn. I'm really not necessarily in agreement with what you're talking about and those types of things. So I feel God calling me someplace else. No, he's not. 
what he's revealing to you is that you're unwilling to deal with tough circumstances and conflict. That you're running from your father rather than glorifying Christ in your situation. And if I'm wrong, correct me. Let's look at the word of God and wrestle with it together so that we both would grow rather than one of us run. His persistence in this prayer was that his journey to Jerusalem would be complete, that that mission would come to its end and that he would come in the fullness of Christ's blessing at that point. But he is looking at knowing, however, that all things are in fact ordered by God and feeling that his own wishes should be subordinated by the divine will of God. He's saying somehow in this mystery, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. His desire is clear. But what God keeps putting in his 100 square feet is constantly changing. This is simply about Paul's submission to the sovereignty of God. Paul's goal is not specifically to just go to Rome and and take a tour, right? Um, He's not there to see the Colosseum or the Pantheon. In fact, they haven't even been built at this time. But Paul wants to go to the people so that he can share the gospel. And mainly what he's after is a harvest. Look at it in verse 11. He says, for I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul's ultimate goal is to reap a harvest, but along the way, he's gonna reap more harvest. And he's gonna bring these spiritual blessings, right? So point two is that Paul is seeking to encourage other Christians. How? With the gospel. Because he wants to strengthen them spiritually, as we'll see in verses 11 and 12. Right, in verse 11, Paul's longing to see them has these multiple tenets, purposes as to why he wants to see them, right? The first is his desired wish to impart some spiritual gift to them. A gift that will ultimately strengthen them. He says, I long to see you that I may impart or share with you some spiritual gift, right? We can look at the spiritual gifts, right, that are laid out for us in 1 Corinthians 12, right? These gifts are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Paul wants to give them part of the spirit that resides within him. But there's extraordinary gifts that Paul has been witness to giving throughout the church. When we see in Acts 19, verse six, it says, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. This trust in the Spirit to come upon someone, to empower them, to strengthen them. And therefore, right, these gifts that were given to people within the churches, not buildings, but the people would be strengthened. And they were assured because those believers would lack nothing in their ministry in the 100 square feet that they're in charge of. 
We see in 1 Corinthians 1, 7, it says, Paul says, he's doing this because he doesn't want you to be lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's empowering people by engaging people. Verse 12, why? That we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So the second aspect is that he desired to see in them in order that he might be strengthening them or that he might strengthen them. But this wasn't his entire objective. The third part of his objective was simple. He wanted to be comforted and encouraged himself. This sense would be likened to when maybe we go on a short-term mission down to Mexico and we work with our optic group and we give people glasses for the first time in their life and they're able to see that charge that comes from that. Not only are we sharing the gifts that we have with them, but we are encouraged when we get to witness the gospel take place. That in fact, not only are we strengthening them with more things, but we ourselves are being comforted and encouraged because of what the gospel is doing. Paul is craving and desiring this. He's wanting that not only that you may be strengthened, but that I may be encouraged or comforted. I can tell you firsthand as the pastor of counseling, there's nothing more incredible than to watch the gospel save a marriage. To see a person come to know Christ for the first time. To watch or witness a person who sends you a letter saying, Jeff, I, don't, I know you're not a doctor and you never prescribed these things anyways, but I've been riddled with medication for my anxiety and my depression for so long. And I just wanted to let you know that the power of the gospel has set me free from these meds and I have been without them for six months and I have no effects that are taking place because I am encouraged daily through the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a pastor, I need those moments, right? Because most days, right, are listening to problems and difficulties and conflicts and all kinds of things, and you can't help but go home and think to yourself, man, if I could just find a cabin isolated on a mountaintop, void of people, then I would be happy. And there's a burden that comes when you work in ministry. I've run corporations with thousands of employees and billions of dollars of money, and I can tell you that that is child's play than to being full-time ministry. The burden is huge. And you crave and you desire, like Paul, a longing to see the harvest, to be encouraged by the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what Paul is alluding to here in verse 13, right, is that any increase of knowledge or grace or power is what is intended. That he wants to strengthen them with power. I close most of my prayers with a simple request always before God, that we would grow in his grace and in the knowledge of his son. The gospel brings that strength. It brings that power because it is the very power of God.
But Paul wants to see this knowledge, this grace, this power in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. You see what this includes is an increase in their confidence, an increase in their belief of the gospel. But it's an increase in the strength of their faith and the purpose, which is the power of their obedience, the obedience of faith. Paul says in another way in 1 Thessalonians as to why he sent Timothy. He says in verse two, 1 Thessalonians 3, 2, he says, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God, co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in the faith, to build you up, to encourage you. But Paul in verse 13 is going to exhibit his genuine love for them. He says in verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers. This expression is an attention getter. He's essentially saying, hey, pay attention. I've wanted to come but I'm trusting in God to tell me the time. I'm depending upon him to send me. And when my mission is complete here, this hundred square feet around me, I'm heading to Spain, but I'm gonna drop by and say hey to you. And I'm gonna share the gospel and see the gospel explode the church even greater than what God has already done. And he's gonna save even some of the Gentiles as well. Paul is getting this across. He states that he was hindered, right? He was prevented. Look at it. If we look ahead in Romans 15, 23, he kind of peels back the layers a little bit of it. He says, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, Paul's saying that the mission is coming to an end as to where he currently is. And it's going to free him the time to come and share the gospel there and to grow the mission. He was in fact ready to visit Rome. His course could have been of course under a different guidance. There could in fact be that what prevented him was God himself. We oftentimes don't think of the sovereignty and the power of God in this term. It's why we probably cope with these things by saying hey, good luck or you were lucky. But look at it in Acts 16, verses six, seven, and nine, right? It's, it's talking about Paul, and he says, and they went through the region, so he's traveling all over the place, having been forbidden by what? The Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So God was the one that was preventing him from going there, into Asia, right? Verse seven, and when they had come to uh, Mysia, right, they attempted to go into Bithynia, But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. You see, we have that tendency to think that God wants me to go to all of these different places all over the world. And we think, well, I didn't get to go there because I was unlucky in getting in. Hmm. Maybe you're not there because God's not ready to share his word there. Maybe, in fact, God is one who's 
preparing to send you to someplace else, right? Because then in verse nine, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia to help us. So where did Paul go? Macedonia. You see, it may be the spirit who is forbidding his teaching. But likened to God preventing me to go to the World Trade Towers on September 11th, it had nothing to do with luck, but God's plan. I don't know how that mystery works. Pastor Bob and I talk about it all the time, the mystery of God, or I'll call it the doctrine of concurrence, right? How is it that people motivated by wickedness could cause one of the most catastrophic events that our nation has ever seen, but it still be working to the good? That's a mystery I don't know. Like Joseph said to his brothers, what you did for evil, God meant for good. I don't know how that works. But Paul himself is dealing with the why. Sharing the gospel everywhere and everyone that God puts in front of him. He's talking about God's divine providence. There are no accidents. There is no luck. I didn't luckily bump into someone and share the gospel with them. God brought them before me. And the question is, will we be faithful to glorify God in that moment? There are plenty of times that I am not. But Paul says in verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So therefore, so, therefore, because of this obligation, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The third and final point is this. By understanding the offer of the gospel, we get to the underlying mission of the gospel. Paul is not only obligated, but is eager as well. I have to ask the question, if Paul was obligated, like a servant, like a slave to Christ, are we? Of course we are. We too are servants, doulosses of Christ. And we have been called under the authority of Jesus Christ to make disciples of all nations. I don't know about you guys, but there are many times that I I look, especially over here to our youth and to our students, and I say to myself, man, if I knew what I know now, I would love to go back to here so that I could share the gospel in a greater way that I could live the gospel in a greater way. Because I am under obligation. Like Paul, I am a debtor. I've been set free from the bondage of sin, but but I am a slave to Christ because he paid my debt. I am a slave to both the Greeks and the barbarians. Barbarian is just a way of saying foreigner or someone who speaks another language. But I am also to the wise and to the foolish, meaning all classes of people. 
He's saying that as I am under obligation to preach the gospel to all classes of mankind, Paul's commission is likened to your commission and my commission and to no particular class of people. To Greeks and barbarians means all nations. The wise and the foolish means all classes. You see, Paul was wanting to go to Rome, a city that was a personification of the world. It belonged to neither one class nor to another. Some of the people were wise and some were unwise. Some were Greeks and some were barbarians. But in Paul's message, he was going to what we would probably call Las Vegas, an era of its sin city, a melting pot that was similar to that of America today. When you read or watch the news, what Paul is building to here in Romans 1 is a clarification that there is nothing new under the sun and that the wickedness of man is everywhere, that the fall of his creation (coughs) has left mankind without an excuse. But Paul himself is eager. He's saying, I'm ready. The simple question we should be asking is, are we? Am I ready? I'm eager to preach the gospel. He's not only obligated, but he's eager. Paul is saying, right, that the gospel is not just for the, for the unsaved, but the gospel is for all people, all classes, all nations, Every single person, man, woman, and child, directed by the providence and the will of God, that God and God alone will bring people in and out of your world. And the question is, are you being faithful with what God has entrusted you as the ambassador of the hundred square feet around you? Because I, Paul, am going to capitalize on every single moment that God empowers me. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 4.2. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. In season and out of season means favorable situation and unfavorable situation. I find myself with that same excuse. That excuse says, well, you know, They don't pay me around here to share the gospel. Wrong. They pay you to do your job, but when you do your job, you do it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In season, out of season. Any one moment, we must preach the word wherever and whenever because God has you. Because it's the spirit in you that has equipped you and qualified you. People will say all the time, I'm not ready to share the gospel with someone. Has God done something spectacular in your life? Well, yeah. Then share it to the praise and the glory of him. Wow, you're now equipped to share the gospel. Give glory to him. 
no matter where you are. As I call the, the worship team and even the prayer team up to the side, right, we can't forget, right, these people who volunteer their time are here to lead us into the throne room of grace. To fill his throne with both prayer and praise. To come alongside one another and to pray for one another. But don't miss the underlying mission of the gospel. Don't miss this. Remember the question I asked you at the beginning. Why is Paul longing to share the gospel to a community of believers? You see, Paul understands that the gospel not only saves people as a one-time event, but he understands that it's a lifestyle that compels us to be thankful for any and all circumstances. It both, it's both what encourages and comforts, and it is the power of God for all of life. I don't just need the gospel to be saved. I need the gospel to grow. And I must start by preaching it to myself every day. Brothers and sisters, we should not reduce the gospel to just a mere path for salvation for the lost. But the gospel is so much more. When Christ in John 10.10 said that he promised and he came to give you life and to give you life abundantly, will you rest in the Holy Spirit to lead that moment by moment? To trust in him in such a way that that is the power that compels you to grow. It not only shows this abundant life but it acts as a declaration of your identity in Christ. To be a servant, as Paul, who serves with his spirit in the gospel of his son. <laughs> Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, when we preach Christ crucified, we have no reason to stammer or stutter or hesitate or apologize. There is nothing in the gospel of which we have any cause to be ashamed. Ask yourself, what keeps me from sharing the gospel with the person on my left and my right? Do I think it's an unfavorable moment of season? Or is it because quietly, and secretly, maybe I'm ashamed? You know that person? that person that you long to share the gospel with, that neighbor, your parent, your sibling, your kid, your friend, your colleague, start as Paul did. First, give thanks. And do it through Christ who empowers you, who dwells within you. Secondly, seek to use it as an opportunity to encourage, not tear down and impart the gifts that God has given to you so that together you will be mutually encouraged and comforted. All the one another's in scripture to pray for one another, to love one another, to confess our sins to one another. God has given us each other so that we can grow in his grace. And thirdly, understand the gospel offer that it's not just to save but it is to sanctify as well. 
Don't just be ready. Know that you are eager because you are obligated. Because he bought your debt. He redeemed you, set you free from the bondage of sin so that you, you would glorify him by advancing his kingdom through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is God in you. Or do we not trust him? Do we think that I have to do it myself? There can be nothing further from the truth but to be encouraged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the gospel for all time. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ has set you free. And you are free indeed. But you are not free to sit around and do anything you please. You have been freed to live and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very hope for we have in him and him alone. Long for it. Be eager to share it. To simply take what God has done in your life by setting you free and share it with the people in your hundred square feet. To God be the glory. Amen? Amen. Now we have people down here who are here to pray with you. And they come down here, and I said this a couple weeks ago, I know there's more than three people who need prayer in this room. And I know there are people who have great praise to give to God. Use one another to do that. Come and use their offer, their eagerness, their desire to live and share the gospel with you as you long and eagerness to share the gospel with them. To God be the glory. I love you guys. See you next week.